turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Coming up, a big hearing today in a Georgia courtroom over the Fonny business going on with Nathan Wade and Fonny Willis. I'll talk about that. Uh, author and Bitcoin investor Ben Hart, who happens to be my friend, we went to Dartmouth together and were involved in the Dartmouth Review. We're going to we're going to talk about how Bitcoin can save the world. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. America needs this voice. The times are crazy in a time of confusion, division, and lies. We need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. This afternoon, um, a judge will have a hearing over Fannie Willis and whether or not she, as well as Nathan Wade, her paramour, should be disqualified from the Georgia case against Trump and against the other 18 or so co-defendants. Now, what's going to happen today is that the judge will be hearing from a guy named Terrence Bradley. Who is Terrence Bradley? Well, he's a buddy of Nathan Wade. He's also a lawyer, and he eventually became Nathan Wade. He was Nathan Wade's friend before. And uh, according to an affidavit filed by one of the defendants, this is a fellow named Mike Roman. He's been uh, uncovering a lot of this stuff in connection with Wade and Fannie Willis. According to Mike Roman's filing, uh, this guy, Terrence Bradley, talked to Nathan Wade, and Nathan Wade told him, confessed to him, that he was having an affair with Fannie Willis in 2021. Now, this is um, very important because Fannie Willis was sworn in as district attorney in January of 2021. According to this fellow Wade, the relationship was even prior to that. But Wade and Willis have told the judge, have testified under oath, that their relationship romantic did not begin until 2022 after Wade had been made the chief prosecutor in the Trump case. So we have here a simple question of honesty, because lying is bad, lying to the court is even worse and it isn't worse than just in the moral sense. It's worse in the legal sense. Because if the judge can't believe you in statements that you made under oath, well, he can't believe you about anything else you say. Uh, and moreover, uh, lying under oath is a crime. And you can be prosecuted for that. Uh, not to mention the fact that you can be disbarred from that. You could be jailed for contempt. Uh, you could be removed from office. So Fannie Willis has some pretty high stakes going on here. And, um, and, uh, 
there are two lines of attack against the credibility of what Fannie Willis is saying and what Nathan Wade is saying. The first I just mentioned, uh, and that is this fellow Terrence Bradley, and we're going to be hearing from him today. Uh, I think this alone could be a devastating blow for Fannie Wade and uh, for Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, because think about it. There's already one witness. This is a black woman, a friend who said, yeah, I can tell you that their relationship was prior to 2022. So now if you have a second guy, a good friend of Nathan Wade who says Nathan Wade told me uh, that becomes very incriminating. But it isn't just that. You also now have the cell phone data, and that's what I want to talk about. The cell phone uh, software is called CellHawk. And by the way, it's software that's used by the Atlanta PD. So it's software that is already validated by, in a sense, Fannie Willis's office, because they use this data to prosecute people for burglary and so on. Your cell phone puts you right here. Now, what does the cell phone data show? It basically shows, uh, first of all, that Nathan Wade visited Fannie Willis's residence 35 times before the so-called romantic relationship started. So he visited her 35 times. Now, several of those visits were in the middle of the night. So uh, what does the cell phone show? It tracks Nathan Wade. He is, he is pinging off the cell phone tower near his own residence. Then you begin to see the the car move toward Fannie Willis's residence. It comes into the vicinity of Fannie Willis's residence, and then he stays there all night and goes back home in the morning. Now, uh, Fannie Willis has already filed a brief saying, basically, what does this really prove? Quote, it says that the records do nothing more than demonstrate that Special Prosecutor Wade's telephone was located somewhere within a densely populated multiple mile radius where residences, restaurants, bars, nightclubs and other businesses are located. So the point being, yeah, he might have been in Fannie Willis's area, but how do we know he went to Fannie Willis's house? Now, uh, moreover, even if he did go to Fannie Willis's house, I suppose one could go on to argue, how do you know what was happening at the house between, say, midnight and 3.28 a.m.? That's where he was in that, in that time frame on September 12th, or between midnight and 5 a.m. on November 30th. And basically, the, the Trump people, the, Mike Roman and his lawyers say, look, that's why we need, ultimately, Fannie Willis to come forward and explain what was Nathan Wade. Did he come to your house? Did he stay from 12 p.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning? Kind of, what were you guys up to? If you weren't having a romantic relationship, what were you doing? Were you going over legal papers? At that time, there was no case. So, now, in addition to this, there are communications, by which you mean texts and phone calls. How many texts and phone calls between Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade in 2021? This is when there's supposedly no romantic relationship. 12,000. 12,000. Honey, do you and I, have we had 12,000 connections? We probably have. <laughs> but, but we are also in a romantic relationship and we are married. <laughs> so it's normal that we would do that. We text, we text each other when we're in, in the house. We are, okay? Debbie, because we do in, in intra-house <laughs> texting, uh, which is true. But what we're talking about, we're talking about communications here between Fanny Willis and Wade. 
heavy concentration, a lot of it after hours, seven days a week. So again, you know, the judge wasn't born yesterday. He's going to recognize that, yeah, it's theoretically possible that Nathan uh, Wade went somewhere else near Fannie Willis's house, but extremely unlikely. And moreover, all he has to do, and I think this is really what will close the whole matter, is he should demand to see the texts. He should say, all right, you've, you've got these, what, 12,000 communications, obviously, you don't have a recording of the phone calls, but when you do have the texts, let's look at the texts. And I think we can all be pretty sure that these texts are going to be pretty steamy. There's going to be a lot of stuff, very incriminating stuff on the texts. It just has to show that they were not acquaintances or friends. There was more going on. And boom, that means she lied. And that means what else is she lying about? And I think this is this becomes curtains really for not necessarily for the case, but certainly for Fannie Willis. The other thing that Debbie was talking about a moment ago, which I think is true, would be really fascinating if the text refer to Trump. I mean, imagine if Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade in 2021 are talking about, hey, there may be a way if you win an election, you know, you take office. Uh, well, actually, Fannie Willis took office in January of 2021. Maybe we can work together in getting Trump. This would be explosive bombshell type of stuff. In fact, if there's this kind of stuff on the text, the judge may have to throw the whole case out. Why? Because the whole case is now polluted. It's a political hit. It's basically two people involved in a relationship talking about their political motives and getting rid of Trump. I mean, this would be a radioactive type of stuff. But but even if you didn't have this, the judge doesn't need stuff about Trump. He just needs clear evidence that Fannie Willis is lying. See, so far when Fannie Willis came up with all the, you know, well, yeah, we went on trips together and so on, but I paid him back in cash. And here's my dad to testify that black people hoard a lot of cash. It all sounds fishy. It sounds preposterous, but you can't prove it's false. You don't know for a fact that she was lying. And so the judge, I think, is looking for something where he can go, aha, look, you said X, the truth is Y. Here's indubitable, incontrovertible evidence that this is in fact the case and that you deliberately misled me and you deliberately misled the court. Now, the question is, if Fannie Willis gets the boot, as I think right now the probability is that she will, what will happen next? Well, there are two possibilities. One is that the case will go back to the office. They will have to find, they can't use any of the other prosecutors who are part of Fannie Willis's team. They would have to sort of find another way to jumpstart the case again. At the very least, this would cause enormous delays. It's hard for me to see how this case could even be heard under that circumstances before the election. But the other possibility is that the case is so irremediably tainted. It's so, people are so done with it. Fannie Willis is so discredited that this particular case against Trump just kind of falls by the wayside. How are you feeling these days? I feel great. And one of the reasons I feel so good is because I take this. It's balance of nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule. They have an amazing story of how this product was developed by Dr. Douglas Howard. It's right there on their website. Balance of Nature receives over a thousand success stories every single month. They have hundreds of thousands of customers who've purchased billions of capsules of their fruits and veggies over the past 20 years. Their products are gluten-free. They're non-GMO. They contain no added sugars or synthetics. So I think if you're looking for something to make you feel better naturally, you should definitely give Balance of Nature a try. In fact, 
order today. Whether you order online or call them direct, you got to use promo code AMERICA to get the special offer. It's 35% off plus $10 off any additional sets plus free shipping and our money back guarantee. So this is a quite a deal. Call them 800-246-8751. The number again, 800-246-8751. Or you can go to balanceofnature.com. When you use discount code America, you'll get 35% off, uh, 35% off by using discount code America. Guys, you know, there's a lot of instability in the world, in Ukraine, in elections in Taiwan, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression. And so how are you sheltering your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? Well, it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold, and Birch Gold Group can help you to do that. As opposed to many other investments, gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It's an important part of diversifying your savings. It's part of my savings strategy. And here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. Just text Dinesh to 989898 for a free information kit. With an A-plus rating with a Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, Birch Gold can arm you with knowledge of diversification through precious metals. So go ahead, text Dinesh to 989898, claim your free information kit, and protect your savings with gold today. Guys, I'm really delighted to welcome to the podcast, uh, well, an old friend of mine, uh, Ben Hart. We went to Dartmouth together. We were... Well, we were actively involved in the Dartmouth Review, a rebel undergraduate newspaper. Yes. Ben went on to a highly successful career in advertising and direct mail. He is also a technology investor. He's written a, a series of books, including books about advertising, but also books about politics and about faith, faith and freedom, a book that he wrote right out of Dartmouth called Poise and Ivy, uh, which was a kind of a preview of the whole woke phenomenon we're dealing with in his new book. Uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, uh, a beginner's guide. And we're going to be talking about Bitcoin. But Ben, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Uh, I want to start with something that I, I'm not going to focus on, but you've, um, you've sort of plunged into the public arena recently <laughs> in a, in a very odd way. Uh, right. and that is that you and your daughter Maddie have made now a couple of videos apiece, uh, airing some family business, you might say, in public. Right. Uh, can you just give a brief summary of what that's all about? And, and most sure. importantly, uh, I want to ask you as a dad, like, why would you engage a topic like this in the public arena? Oh, right. Yeah, well, my daughter literally out of the blue watched this um, kind of video uh, attack on me. Actually, that wasn't really an attack, but she mentioned some things about how I hadn't paid medical bills and kind of implied that I was a deadbeat dad. And it was kind of began as a funny video about how uh, I left the family for breakdancing, which isn't true, uh, that we did get a divorce in 2005. But, um, you know, I just took up breakdancing for exercise in 2012. So really, there was no truth to her video, though I actually liked about 98% of it. And I thought it was actually kind of a good storyline that, you know, her dad 
uh, left the family, you know, for to pursue an amateur <laughs> to pursue a breakdancing career. So in a way, I thought that was funny and it be, would be a great uh, movie plot. But um, I had to correct a few of the inaccuracies uh, in her video, like implying that I didn't pay medical bills and hey, you know, I paid millions of dollars to the family. I lived just down the street. Um, I saw the kids all the time. In fact, I had Christmas. You no, know, we had a Christmas dinner uh, just this past Christmas a few weeks ago. All the kids were there. We had a great time, and I have a great I have a great relationship with Maddie. Uh, I mean, I thought I did. I mean, we were literally text messaging back and forth all day, all the time. She's telling me what's going on in her life. Uh, I give her, you know, tips on her videos and her um, and she's trying to be sort of she's a a writer, an assistant writer uh, for Paramount Streaming. She's definitely on the woke side. She's definitely on the left. Um, but she's a very smart person, very talented. And she's also has the side hustle as a social media influencer. And she's built up quite a following there. Uh, over on TikTok. And, and so I wake up one morning, wake up, I think it was last Sunday, Sunday, February 18th. It was actually my birthday. And I open my computer and I'm greeted with all these, um, t- all these messages, you know, social media on, even though she's not really on X, all of these social media, just garbage is coming, comments for calling me deadbeat dad and all kinds of horrible names. And I'm thinking like, what is this about? And so then I go over to TikTok. And I see her video has 7 million views. It's got a million likes. It's got, you know, 40,000 reposts and so forth. And I, I said, oh, my gosh, I better watch this video and find out what it's about. And so I saw what it was about. And there were some definitely inaccuracies in there. And I think she didn't really intend harm by it at all. But she did, definitely intended to deliver a few shots along the way. And I just kind of had to correct that. So I put out a video which was very upbeat, very just, you know, I like 90% of your video. But here are the factual inaccuracies accuracies and then um you know i i gave millions of dollars to uh to my ex-wife and six hundred thousand dollars i think into the college fund and you know paid all the medical costs of course insurance and all that so totally uh they did very well they lived on a wealthy suburb in in illinois uh so it did very well she graduated from north uh, uh northwestern university which uh i think is about sixty five thousand dollars a year you know so it's really you know elite school and so she really had nothing to complain about in terms of the money and I saw all the kids all the time. So then, so then she came out with a very negative video, much more negative, and with even more inaccuracies and just really almost nothing true about it. And so to answer that, I, I released a second video that included the whole movies of us going to uh, the beach and uh, water parks and uh, vacation, you know, our car trip across the country, we went to Yellowstone Park, we went to Las Vegas, we went, you know, so, so basically it just really refuted a lot of her, uh, you know, her accusations there, just, I mean, there's no question about it. And these videos got millions of views. My first video got 33 million views on X alone. It got two or three million views. The second video got two or three million views. And Elon Musk actually weighed in and commented on both videos. And then it became a real kind of internet storm. So people were making podcasts uh, about it all across YouTube, all across TikTok. Some of them good, some of them neutral, some of them very much against me, some in favor. So it just became this total internet uh, firestorm. But uh, I love my daughter, love Maddie, love all my kids. Uh, they, they've been very successful. One works at a hedge fund in New York City. She's doing very well. Uh, she's made partner there. Uh, Maddie, of course, is an assistant writer on a on a TV show for 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 NBC. Uh, and um, my other my uh, I have another daughter uh, who just graduated from college and is teaching first grade in Thailand. And I have a son who is getting a master's degree in psychology. So they're all doing uh, they've, they've all they're all doing great. And um, 
see them all the time, talk to them all the time, saw them all at Christmas. I think we, uh, maybe we didn't have Thanksgiving together, or maybe some of us did. Um, but I, we have a house in Illinois, uh, which is about uh, an hour from where the, the ex-wife lives, their mom. And we also have a, uh, another house in Florida. And so we're generally in Florida during the winter and generally in Illinois up there uh, when the weather is good. So that's basically the arrangement. The kids are all grown up. They're graduated from college, uh, you know. Uh, and I thought, I, I believe I have a good relationship with all of them. Um, now the girls seem to have kind of rallied around Maddie, seem to have rallied with, uh, their mom. And that sort of is natural in this kind of a, I mean, I see this in divorces all the time where the kids are living with the mother, uh, and the mother, you know, in almost any divorce, the mother is the predominant, is the one that's really raising the children. I don't think it's a good idea to have the kids shuttling back and forth between houses and beds and so forth. Just let the mom raise the kids. Dad's job is kind of provide the money, see the kids, you know, whenever they want to see, but, you know, I generally saw them once a week and they were just down the street, uh, from us, uh, before they moved to Wilmette in 2012, my ex-wife got remarried and they moved to Wilmette. So that was about an hour away. But before that, uh, we lived about a mile, mile and a half down the street in LaGrange from, from their house. Then we bought a house, I think in 2011, uh, in Willowbrook, which is about an eight minute drive away. Um, and they did come over to the house. She, she, she said, I never went to the house, but actually we have photographs. They were at uh, both places. We had Thanksgiving dinner at our house. And, you know, so she was just incorrect on that, but I love her dearly. And I think she's, uh, unfortunately, uh, because my videos came out, a lot of negative comments came, were directed to toward her. And that's really unfortunate. Um, so, uh, hopefully that, that, that fence can, Hopefully that bridge will be repaired. I mean, my uh, advice, Ben, is, I, you know, I think it's time to de-escalate and to sit down with her in person because, yeah, but there, that, uh, you know, there's clearly yeah. a difference. There's clearly some sense on her part, whether she's been indoctrinated or not. And you implied that it's, you know, it's the ex-wife. It's also the culture. She gets this from her professors. Right. Women are a victim. There's a there's a kind of ready-made ideology at hand here that she might be kind of glomming on to. But uh, my advice is to sit down with her and just spend some time kind of hashing through these issues without the cameras rolling, and hopefully there won't be there won't be any yep. any any damage uh, there that is long that is long term. Absolutely, Dinesh, and you know I've, I've uh, texted her a few times to that effect, and uh, right now she's declining to do that. But I think that I think as the days pass, and you know hopefully maybe weeks. I'm I'm happy to go out to L.A. and just hang out with her, and I put out that offer. Just hang out, go to the park, take a boat ride, whatever, and just kind of hang out and and uh, and just talk about this because, you know, really, I mean, if you if you scroll through our text message conversations, you know, um, literally, uh, I'll just show I'll, I'll just I'm not going to show you the actual conversations, but um, I'd have to scroll down here just to find out where she is. Hold on a second, it's kind of but if if you go through these. Oh, here. Okay. Let's just see. Let's just see. So if you take a look at our conversations, you know, it's love. It's love. It's like, it's just the conversations are constant and they're literally every day and they're going back, back and forth all day. And she's telling about things are going at work. Things are going, uh, how things are going on in her life. Uh, this and that, you know, the boyfriend, whatever, you know, these, these messages, these, these conversations are going along fine. And, and they all end with, I love you. That means her, her messages to me, my messages are, I love you, emojis and stuff. You know, it's just, you know, I send her a video of me skiing in Vail, uh, breakdance practice or whatever, breakdance event. She sends me, she sends me, you know, 
uh, shirts that she's had printed up to sell on of her to sell as merch on her site to her followers. And this is just this is literally just constant. So as far as I in my mind, up until this uh, just video thing that came out on TikTok that got seven million views, I thought everything was absolutely fine. Now, of course, as you say, in any kind of divorce situation, maybe things aren't quite as fine as you think they are, you know, because uh, when you are divorced, when you're, when your parents get divorced as a young child and suddenly, you know, your father uh, is no longer there. I mean, who knows how that wires the brain? And even if they don't think, even if they think everything is okay, uh, yeah, maybe things aren't okay, you know, so, or maybe there's like uh, 10% or 20% in their brain that is thinking, you know, I really feel like I got kind of shafted here or something like that. But you know, so, uh, you know, obviously, I, I think in my first video, I said, you know, I, I take probably 70% of the blame for the breakup of the marriage. You know, I, I, t- I own that. And so in that sense, I, I think I'm, you know, have a, had a lot to do with that. I think I did a, I think I really tried to, um, I tried to have a good relationship with the children. Now, typically, I've spent a lot more time with my son because uh, the girls, as they become teenagers and middle schoolers, they want to hang out with their friends. They don't want to hang out with a dad. And I'm not going to enforce the visitation agreement. You know, if they want to come to breakfast, if they want to come to dinner, they want to come to lunch, they want to go to the water park, they want to go to the beach. Great. If they don't, I'm not going to force them. Uh, so, you know, there yeah. was a tendency there, you know, that it, it gets complicated. I mean, it just highlights that there is a fracture that, that divorces produce. And uh, mm-hmm. I also think what's interesting when I look at the comments that other people have made and some, you know, Michael Knowles has weighed in on this and uh, Matt Walsh has weighed in on it. And what a lot of people do is they they project things that have happened in their own lives onto your life. Of course, none of us were there. None of us can see right. things up close. So there's a natural kind of distortion that occurs in the public sphere. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's actually, Dinesh, just to just to chime in here, just I think that's a fault with conservative messaging in a lot of ways. Um, so if you look at the comments that are coming to my video, I'm getting enormous support from the black community. And you can say, well, why is that? Why am I getting so much support from the black community? And uh, I mean, it's like the almost universal and uh, getting more criticism from the you know liberal whites. But um, why the blacks or why, why are black people supporting me more? And of course, they more experienced directly a lot of home breakup down, uh, you know, in their communities, especially in the inner cities and in the in the working class uh, communities. And the legal system is very much tipped in favor of the woman. Now, I think that that I think what's happened is at one point the legal system was really tipped against the woman, right? So uh, typically, you know, let's take back in the fifties or sixties, it was a stay at home mom, and it was a. Um, and by the way, this gets into Bitcoin, by the way, because there's there's a solution there, and Bitcoin is fixes the dishonest money pro. It's the money printing press that create creates a lot of this. We can get into that later, but um, the black community really exper- experiences this firsthand how the legal system is tipped in favor of the. Uh, is tipped against the male. And so, you know, someone at my level, yeah, I can afford the child support. I can afford the alimony. I can generally afford to provide a good life for my kids. But at the working class level where they're on a fixed income, they're just getting hammered by the legal system. Then they have the mother at home with the kids and she's just dumping on the, on the father, you know, the, the, because of the door, door situation. And then what happens? They can't keep up with the payments. Then they end up in jail. I mean, it is just brutal. And I, I don't think it's uh, it's not just a rare occurrence. I would say it's the majority of the occurrence. So wow. these males are just getting brutalized by the legal system. And then what happens is, you know, of course, they fall into crime and whatnot. So 
uh, you know, they, they just or they just give up. You know, they commit suicide, they become alcoholics, they become dra- drug addicts. And so they really identified with kind of my perspective or my situation. So whereas, you know, so there's there's a problem with the legal system. It's very much tipped against the male. Uh, it wasn't and there needed to be an adjustment because, you know, this back in the old days when most of the women were stay at home moms, the guy would just take off and abandon the family and she was left with no money and all these kids. So, yeah, there had to be an adjustment there, but it was, there's been an overcorrection. So I don't and I don't know what the solution is. I have no idea what the solution is. But one thing I would say about the conservative messaging that I think is off is they say, OK, the solution is we need intact families. Well, what is the policy solution to give us intact families, right? There's so many factors that feed into uh, the breakup of the family. There's no policy solution to that. So when you tell somebody who has, let's say, a working class family, let's say inner city family, let's say black family, well, our solution for you is uh, dads need to stay in the home. Well, that's not really a solution. You know, it's not a practical solution. It's not what the life i mean half of the half of marriages end in divorce for all and end in divorce for all kinds of reason economic reasons you know because they didn't get along or maybe there's alcohol substance abuse whatever you know cheating unfaithfulness and so forth all the kind of normal human failings you know relationships are tough i mean uh you know when it made of course relationship till death do us part made sense when life expectancy was age 28 right but it's a little harder when age when it's age 88 um so or something like that so you know, obviously, the ideal thing is husband and wife stay together, father's in the home all the time, and it's, you know, it's a intact nuclear family. But to send that out as, this is our solution for you, you need to have, you know, fathers in the home, you need to have stay married, you need to, uh, and while that is true, that is the ideal, you know, the fact of the matter is that's that's not the case in like half of marriages. So I think we need to adjust our messages. So Michael Knowles and some of these guys, you know, Matt Walsh, who I like, I like them a lot, of, but I think that they're kind of they're kind of tone deaf on that point. Yeah, let's take a pause. We'll be right back with Ben Hart. We're going to talk about Bitcoin, his book, uh, Bitcoin: A Beginner's Guide, and um, um, more with Ben Hart in a moment. Lots of people live with aches and pains. Aches and pains seem to come to you as you get older, but you don't have to live with them. Debbie and I started taking Relief Factor about three years ago. And we've noticed a huge difference in our joints. Nothing short of amazing. Aches and pains are totally gone thanks to this 100% drug-free solution called Relief Factor. It's a natural way to fight pain. Relief Factor is a daily supplement. It helps your body fight back against pain. It's 100% drug-free. Relief Factor was developed by doctors searching for a better alternative for pain. Relief Factor uses a unique formula of natural ingredients like turmeric and omega-3s to help reduce or eliminate the everyday aches and pains you're experiencing. So whether it's neck, back, joint, or muscle pain, Relief Factor can help you feel better. Unlike pills that simply mask your pain for a short time, Relief Factor helps support your body's natural response to inflammation so you feel better all day, every day. See how Relief Factor can help you with this, their three-week quick start kit. It's only $19.95, and it comes with Relief Factor's Feel Better or Your Money Back Guarantee. So why not give it a try? What do you have to lose? Visit relieffactor.com, or you can call 800-4-RELIEF. So 800, the number for relief, or go to relieffactor.com. When you feel the difference, you know it works. 
I recently read an article that said 84% of New Year's resolutions fail in the first six weeks. It got me thinking about PhD weight loss and nutrition and why it's been such a success for Debbie and me. Why we haven't gained one pound of our weight loss back. I lost 27, Debbie lost 24. According to this article, most people blame their failure on lack of time, motivation, a loss of zeal. As I was reading, I can clearly see why we were successful on the program. It's because they make it simple. It doesn't take a lot of extra time. They are masters of motivation. You have a team of coaches by your side the whole time and you don't lose your zeal because every week you make great strides. So you're excited about moving forward. Don't make getting healthy another New Year's resolution fail this year. Call PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. Make 2024 your year. Here's the number to call. Write it down, 864-644-1900 to get you started. You can also go online at myphdweightloss.com. Don't do this alone. The number to call, 864-644-1900. I'm back with my longtime friend, Ben Hart, advertising executive, technology investor, author of um, Bitcoin, A Beginner's Guide, um, and Ben, I think, you know, Bitcoin is something that people have talked about. Uh, I know a little bit about it. I can't say I know a lot. And so in this interview, I'm going to be asking you sort of uh, Bitcoin for dummies types of questions because right. I want people to to sort of get an understanding of Bitcoin from the ground up. So let's right. begin with the very simple question of, you know, we hear about cryptocurrency. We hear sometimes names of various currencies. We hear about Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin is the first successful digital money. Um, and it's the only truly decentralized digital money, meaning that nobody owns Bitcoin. Uh, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be controlled by government. It's not controlled by any person. It's not owned or controlled by any one person or any small group of people. It's a decentralized ledger. It's, uh, it's digital money. It's really the only successful digital money. And, uh, it's a decentralized synchronized ledger of transactions that's distributed, uh, every 10 minutes to a network of about a million computers, a million uh, miners and validating nodes across the world. And it's the only it's the only digital currency that a digital money that's been able to been able to achieve true decentralization. And that really is what makes Bitcoin unique. Now, Bitcoin was the first transaction occurred in 2010 commercial transaction when Lazlo Hanez bought two Papa John's pizzas for uh, for 10,000 Bitcoins, which works out to about one third of one penny. And today, Bitcoin is uh, 56 or 50, uh, 56,000, I think, uh, per coin, 57,000. So that's the, you know, the growth. It is very volatile. So anything I say here is not investment advice. You know, it can drop uh, 75%. You know, it was $65,000 a coin uh, in November of uh, of 2021, and then it dropped down to 15,000 or 16,000. So that's a 75% drop. So, you know, you don't want to, when you're, when you're investing in Bitcoin or really anything, but Bitcoin, especially because it, there's technology to it, you need to put at least a hundred hours of study into it because the only way you can withstand emotionally the volatility of the asset is to truly understand it that it's not going to zero ever. Um, now you described so, it. You described it sort of in our in in almost abstract terms as a ledger, a financial right. transaction. But then you also referred to mining, which would imply right, that a, there were some physical basis or commodities behind it. What's yeah. the what's the connection well, the between money, the mining and the ledger? 
Oh, the mining. Okay. Well, okay. Let, that's a, get mining gets kind of into the complicated stuff, but I'll, I'll tell you, try to do it quickly. Okay. So it's this, this ledger is updated every 10 minutes, uh, and it's distributed. It's distributed to about 1 million miners and nodes out there. And what these miners are doing is they are competing every 10 minutes. They are competing to mine the next block. And so if they win the race, which is a number guessing game, uh, and there are, uh, to give you an idea of the compute power of the Bitcoin network right now, there are to win the to win the guessing game. The compute network power is six trillion six trillion calculations per second. So that's you you, you got to have that kind of compute power. So Elon Musk, for example, was uh, surprised to learn. I just saw his post on it the other day. Just an answer that the Bitcoin network has more compute power uh, than the combined. Com- cloud compute power of Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple. So that's the amount of compute power that is there. And that is a central key pillar of Bitcoin security structure. And of course, compute power consumes a lot of electricity. The Bitcoin network consumes more electric power than Sweden, you know, and small countries like that. Uh, you know, it's, but then people say, is that a waste of electricity? Well, okay. The purpose of Bitcoin is, is to secure your wealth. Make sure no one can hack in, because if there was ever a hack of the underlying Bitcoin technology and people could just hack in, it would obviously be the end that people would just wouldn't uh, be interested in it. So that would be the end of digital money. That would be the end of this digital money, if that could ever happen. So Satoshi, which is a pseudonymous, the pseudonymous inventor of Bitcoin, he emphasized security. Uh, so Bitcoin is digital gold. It's, it's, you know, gold is not something you use at the grocery store to buy your groceries, to buy your cup of coffee. You know, your dollars are fine for that. But what Bitcoin does is secure your wealth in a transportable way. You can't, uh, you know, the, so it's digital gold. So gold, you really can't, tra- tran- you can't really carry gold bar around. You can't take it across the border. You know, if you tried to send your gold bar from, you know, New York to London, it would cost you a lot of money, much less if you tried to send it to some remote place to try to get away from some totalitarian dictatorship, if that should arise here. So Bitcoin is really the second amendment for your money, for your wealth. It's It separates money and state. Uh, Bitcoin is an automated protocol. It's a so- software protocol that was just launched by Satoshi, which I believe is a group of these brilliant libertarian-oriented uh uh, computer engineers, just incredible. The story, and my story, my book goes into the story of how Bitcoin evolved, and the story is just a, a really amazing. And these guys are so smart, so just unbelievable. And um, so, uh, it's a software protocol, distributed, um, and it can't be changed. So there'll never be more than twenty-one million bitcoins. Its its purpose is to be honest money. So it's a scarce asset. The reason gold is valuable is because it's scarce. Uh, it's difficult to get and people do mine it, you know, big companies mine it, but the, uh, the, the supply of gold increases about 1% per year. Um, and so Bitcoin is really kind of mirror, mirrors that. And this process called mining, you know, Satoshi or the group of people, they basically wanted to replicate mining of gold in the digital world. That was the concept. And what makes gold valuable? Not only is it scarce, uh, I mean, Snowflakes are scarce, right? But they, uh, but there's like, uh, you know, one of a kind snowflake, that kind of thing. But the snow, snowflake is not really valuable because it disappears and it's, you know, um, the other thing that makes gold valuable is it's difficult to mine. You know, it's the 600 trillion calculations per second, you know, and then this is every 10 minutes and then there's a contest. Then the winner of the contest gets to mine the next block, block of transactions. And he gets, or the, the, the miner gets, 
uh, 6.25 bitcoins plus transaction fees. So that works out to about, I don't know, nine or 10 bitcoins. It fluctuates depending on how busy the network is. And so, uh, there's a big financial incentive for these miners to protect the network. So they're not going to, they're not going to mess with the network because otherwise they're going to wreck their own bitcoin. So they are very incentivized to, and the bigger the network gets, the more compute power, compute power is used, the more secure it is. Now people say bitcoin is waste of electricity, right? But when you consider how much electricity is the military using, the police, the courts, our banks, right? And what is the purpose of the military, our courts, our banks, uh, police? It's to secure property. It's to secure assets. And so that's what Bitcoin is. It's a way to secure your wealth. Um, and it, uh, and it's a solution to the money printing press, the, f- the fiat money printing press, which really started in earnest in 1971 when we went off the gold standard. Ben, stop uh, there. Re- stop there because I yeah. want to come back and dive into that because Bitcoin is a solution to a problem. Uh, right. And I want you to describe the problem and how Bitcoin solves that. So we'll be right Good. back with Ben Hart. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. After he invented the world's best pillow, he created the famous Giza Dream Sheets. They're the best sheets you will ever sleep on. For a limited time, you get a queen-size set for $59.98, king-size just $69.98, the lowest prices in history. Mike and the MyPillow gang continue to be canceled by big box stores. They're attacked by the media, so they really appreciate all of your great support during these times. They want to thank you by giving you the best specials on all their products. So take advantage. To get the specials, go to MyPillow.com or you can call 800-876-0227. The number again, 800-876-0227. Or go to MyPillow.com. Use promo code Dinesh. You get the famous Giza Dream Sheets, queen size $59.98, king size $69.98. You will also get 60% off the original My Slippers. So once again, go to MyPillow.com. Make sure to use the promo code D-I-N-E-S-H Dinesh. I'm uh, back with uh, my friend Ben Hart. We're having a, uh, an interesting introductory conversation about Bitcoin. Uh, ben, Bitcoin is a solution, but it's a solution to what may be called the money printing problem. You were just about right. to start outlining that. So describe briefly the problem and describe how Bitcoin solves it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we went off the gold standard in 1971 completely. We actually went off it earlier than that, but we'll just say for the sake of here, 1971, Nixon and Congress took us off the gold standard because they had to find a way to fund both the Vietnam War and the Great Society welfare programs, um, LBJ's Great Society. And uh, Nixon also, of course, was interested in re-election. So uh, what is the solution? Well, you can't fund both war and welfare programs if you're on the gold standard. So the only solution is to just go to a government fiat money printing system, print as much money as you want. And um, it's really interesting because, you know, I was a Nixon supporter back in 1968 and 72. But when you think about it, so he won 49 states in 1972. And why did he? Well, because we were on the money printing press. And so you're getting this cocaine high, this sugar high of a booming economy. Uh, and of course, he's ending the Vietnam War also at the same time. So he wins 49 states. But it was really kind of a bad thing because right after that inflation just went through the roof you know remember the carter years you know we had 18 percent or 12 percent inflation and really probably higher than that and 18 percent interest rate prime prime interest rates you know you had interest rates for so that that's what that produces this so what they did then is they kind of scaled it back the volcker came in and kind of ratcheted back down and he did 
and, he, and it caused a huge recession, right? But he had to do it because he wanted to put us back on honest money, but also because the world is on the dollar standard. So the even though we have a, a corrupt money system, a money printing system, we are actually the best currency in the world. So the rest of the world is buying dollars. And the, the only reason our economy stays afloat is because the rest of the world is buying dollars. But if ever the rest of the world stops buying dollars, all the dollars will become worthless and it'll it, it basically everything will implode. So basically what the Fed wants to do is keep the inflation rate, the money printing rate at about two or three percent per year. But we saw during the COVID pandemic that they just printed trillions and trillions, dumped about uh, printed and dumped about $10 trillion on the economy, and then we saw the result of the inflation. But also the inflation numbers coming out of government are completely phony. So if we um, if we st- were using the CPI to calculate CTI, CPI, if the government was using the, the, consumer same, standard price the, 19, yeah. the same standard as in 1980, uh, inflation would actually be about 5 or 6% higher. In addition to that, technology advances reduce the cost of producing things by about two or three percent per year. So that's really another way that the government is ripping us off. But to give you an idea of the extent of the problem, when we went off the gold standard in 1971, one ounce of gold cost $35. Today, an ounce of gold costs over $2,000, I think $2,040. So the uh, dollar has lost 98 point, I don't know, 5% of its value since 1971. So instead of paying $45,000 for an average car today, you should be paying about $800 for the same car. Um, that's my dad bought our house in Vermont for $20,000. That same house is over a million dollars today. Uh, so that gives you an extent of the theft that has come on, uh, has, has happened by government. But people don't really notice it because, you know, when it's 2% or 3% per year, but over time, and then sometimes it goes up like during the pandemic to 10%, but it is theft. And it's not just the 2% or 3% inflation that is the CPI. It's A, a, rig, a rigged CPI number, and B, they're stealing the, the – the, everything should be getting cheaper, not more expensive. Why are groceries going up? They should be getting less. It's, it's, it's more efficient to farm today than ever. They've got computerized tractors. It's AI farming. It's big – but food is getting more expensive. So uh, everything's getting more expensive. It all should be getting cheaper. And people say, well, we need a little bit of inflation to grease the economy. Well, I don't know. If you need an iPhone, are you really going to not buy one because you're just going to hoard that money? You know, and no. And actually, during the 19th century, we were on the gold standard. You know, so the gold standard is in the Constitution. The, you know, I think it's Article what, Article 1, Section 10, something like that. We've never got uh, we've never got off the gold standard. It says in the Constitution that all debts can be satisfied legally with payment of gold or silver coins. Um, and we never went off that. So all this money printing is illegal and unconstitutional. And we had a booming econ- economy in the 19th century. America was the place people wanted to go. Tocqueville wrote about this. Like, what the heck is going on in America? It was like the it was just this capitalist engine. And we were on the gold standard. Yeah, we had a civil war. That hurt. Um, then you, they went on fiat money printing to pay down civil war debts. That's true. So then they, but then they tried to go sort of back onto the gold standard. But basically the root of all problems started in, uh, 1913 with the creation of the Federal Reserve. Now the, so, so the Federal Reserve was created to kind of stabilize everything, but actually that was the beginning of the corruption. And given how far things have deteriorated, given the fact that they have been printing money, as you say, for now, what, almost half a century? Um, And there are people who think that a financial apocalypse may be around the corner. Uh, You Uh write, I'm not quoting you, if all hell breaks loose here, which I'm (laughs) assuming you think is a possibility, Bitcoin allows you to carry your assets with you 
to wherever civilization might still exist. I mean, this almost sounds like a, a line out of the right, Terminator, right. Yeah. you know. Uh, it is a little like that. Well, I, you know, I, I kind of compared Bitcoin to the Terminator because you cannot kill it. You know, China tried to in 2001. They outlawed Bitcoin mining, outlawed, outlawed Bitcoin transactions. 60% of the Bitcoin mining was happening in China, like in the mountains and so forth, out of range of government. But they cracked down on it. And uh, the miners left Bitcoin, went, uh, left, left China and went to places like Kazakhstan and the United States and other places around the world, Afghanistan wherever and uh, so the mining the, the mining hash rate the compute power went down when china did that but then quickly went back up and so then china gave up apparently gave up cracking down on it because 20 percent of the world's mining bitcoin mining is being done in china now so Ch- if china cannot kill bitcoin and they tried it's pretty hard to do uh, i mean i'm yeah <laughs> this is this is a fascinating book, guys, because it has it has um, chapters called you know how Bitcoin fixes corrupt fiat money printing. Why much of the world wants to get out from under the U.S. dollar? Bitcoin is your defense against big tech's emerging push button totalitarianism. And then finally, Bitcoin is an extension of the American idea. So check it out. The book is by yep. Ben Hart. By the way, you can follow Ben Hart on X. At Ben Hart underscore freedom. Ben, thanks for freedom. Much. You'll find me. Can I say one more thing? Sure. Is there more time? Just a little more time. The reason inflation is so insidious is it is a regressive tax. Inflation hits the working class and the poor people, people on fixed incomes hardest. People like you and me or people in the top 5%, 1%, we can afford to buy things that tend to appreciate in value, like real estate, the S&P 500 index fund, things like that. That depreciates in value in relation to the dollar, right? But if you're like on on, on a fixed wage and you're getting, you know, it, you're getting killed by inflation. So basically this money printing press is a giant wealth transfer program from the poor to the rich, to the lower classes, to the rich. And I think that's why Trump is so popular because they kind of hear like he's kind of working class vibe a little bit. But that's uh, huge. Now, you mentioned about the economic collapse, the $35, 34000000000000 trillion national debt. And I think it's going to be $100 trillion pretty soon. And They'll just print money to pay the interest rate to keep the, you know, to keep the Ponzi scheme going, basically. But the Ponzi, what happens is, is they have to print money at faster and faster rates in order just to keep up with the interest rates and the rising debt, the hundred trillion, the two, 200 trillion debt. And eventually we, bec- you know, we could become the Weimar Republic, which gave us Hitler. And that's why I use these ap- apocalyptic terms, or we could become like Venezuela or, be- or more likely we just kind of become this, you know, totalitarian or uh, this, uh, t- tech totalitarian feudal structure where big tech in a partnership with big big government can keep the masses down while you have trillionaires like you know like bezos and a few tech titans at the top that's what it's going to be what a what a dystopian uh, picture thank you very much ben appreciate it thanks dinesh subscribe to the dinesh d'souza podcast on apple google and spotify or watch on rumble youtube and salemnow.com